ski racing fans, and welcome to American Downhillers Podcast, Season 3, Episode Number 1. I'm two-time Olympian Doug Lewis, and with me is World Championship Medalist AJ Kitt. AJ, where are you joining us from? I am in Park City, participating in my new job as a fist coach for the Park City Ski Team. Love it. And Chamonix Downhill champion and creator of American Downhillers, Marco Sullivan. Where are you at, Marco? Hey, guys. I am at home in Tahoe City and still mountain biking out here. (laughs) Aren't we all? Uh, Our third partner, Kitzbühel winner Darren Rawls, is unable to be here as he's off coaching some young American downhillers to be as fast as he was. Today, we are going to talk about the Birds of Prey downhill at Beaver Creek, which will be the first speed event of this season due to the cancellation of Zermatt Zervinia speed races a few weeks ago. That's a whole nother story. And as our special guest, we have one of the current American downhillers on the US ski team. He is a veteran of the USB team and has been running World Cup for 11 years, and he's coming off his best season to date on the World Cup. He's a two-time Olympian a member of four world championship teams. He's a three-time national champion and last year scored big at Kitzbühel with his best ever World Cup finish, a fourth at the Hanenkamp. Please welcome Jared Goldberg. Jared, where are you at and what are you doing now until Beaver Creek race? Hey guys, I am in Copper Mountain right now doing some training and uh, yeah, getting ready for Beaver Creek in about a week and a half. Well, I know AJ and Marco want to be there training with you on Copper. Talk about the training at Copper and what kind of uh, courses you run in. Yeah, well, Copper is Copper is really nice to be back here. It, it, you can push out of the start as hard as you want and uh, <clears throat> really work on your low bowl and <clears throat> and gliding. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's fun to go to a place like like this after the training we were doing this summer was was pretty in your face um we trained in Ushuaia for the first time which was amazing training it was really cool to go down there never have been that far south uh so we got some awesome training there and uh then we ended up going to Zermatt two months ago and trained and had a great session but you know just that glacier training and and it's dark and and the groomer slips around here and there and there's holes and and that's really good to do but when you can come back and have a perfect blank canvas like here it's feels good you know most americans that, that you know get a chance to ski in the rockies know what we're talking about with the perfect rocky mountain snow corduroy but talk a little bit about really the difference from the racer's perspective of what it's like to ski on that glacial snow uh at zermatt anybody that skied at mount hood is kind of it's very similar but then you come over to copper and the snow is totally different right i mean do you change talk a little bit about the snow difference and what you feel but also is there some setup changes that you make so after spending some time in, in on the glaciers in europe like there's no no doubt in my mind like that a lot of the europeans are really technically good because they ski on that snow so much growing up and they go hit the glaciers all you know more often than we do and so it the snow does not really it doesn't hold like this like the dry colorado snow or even that soft snow that we that i had in utah growing up or or in california or anywhere in the west really so um what's different about it is that you can't can't be inside at all like the ski will just go away from you so it's such a good drill actually to go train on that kind of snow because when you do get back to that really clean smooth snow that that holds you can uh you can really like 
have some clean arcs and and I, like i the other day and down earlier i just felt like i could really bend the ski up and go really deep and, and you know it's going to come back um so it setup wise i don't i try not to change anything really from from place to place the only thing i was doing uh the only way i could actually really make the gates when i was in we were in over in pit stall on that steep pitch uh was to give myself a little bit more canting um I brought myself out a little bit with some tape strips and that gave me at least the, uh, the confidence that I could, that I could turn because it was, you had to be over it there. Um, so I try not to change things too much, especially this time of year. You're talking about being confident on that snow, you know, it'll be kind of sweet going down just like a few miles down the road to race at Beaver Creek. Snow should be fairly similar to what you're training on now at copper right yeah i mean it's gonna feel money it's gonna like you remember how it was like with the it's got a little bit of water in it i think i think it, it it'll hold up better you know i i almost like when it's got a little bit a little bit more moisture in it and has a little bit of it's there for you but it's, it's not like chalky you know it doesn't grab too much because then you kind of then it's tough and you you almost feel like it, you want to over ski because it just won't allow you to release but so I'm looking forward to that snow for sure. Yeah. I remember going from like copper to Lake Louise and Lake Louise was sometimes like pretty oh slick God. and a lot different, but I think it'll be really nice going right over to Beaver Creek for you guys. And Totally. Well, the problem with, with Lake coffee. Louise, what was always so, so difficult for me is that the co the snow and copper is, is so perfect. And then you go up there and it's almost like that glacier kind of crumbly, the groomers kind of get a little lost sometimes and it snows an inch and they, they groom over the track and and so you have to be incredibly over it there or else you're kind of tipping over you know so it'll be cool to not have to do that big figure eight we used to do and go up there and come back and then you know so i'm looking forward to just rolling up the road and then starting a day later all right we're going to move over or uh, down the road to beaver creek in just a second but we have to talk about kitzbühel uh, and this is uh, Darren Rolves' question. He said, you got to ask uh, Goldie. Your fourth at Kitzbühel was insane and a big breakthrough for you. His question, was there something different to the lead up to Kitzbühel last year? What made the difference to land you in the top five? The last few years, I've just felt like I was really close and that I, it was, I was like one turn away or, or whatever from having a pretty killer run. Uh, and I... I guess it was just a mixture of that and it was a mixture of that. And also the year before I had really, I crashed really hard in Bangan in the super G and had had a crack in my tibial plateau. And I really only, I took one day off because the Olympics were coming up. So I wanted to try to make the Olympics. So I asked the doctor, like, am I going to make it worse? And he said, if you can handle the pain, you'll be okay. So I just toughed it out and, went I did one of the races in Vangen I missed one of the races but I did one of them and it hurt like hell but I just I knew that I needed to do that run so that I was mentally confident enough to be able to push out of the gate the next week in kits um and so I just was skiing around kind of on a cracked leg and I just the next year when I got there I was like well I was in way worse shape last year like, and I actually had some good results the year before and I was just kind of skiing down. I was in some top 20. So I was like, I can, if I could do that, like in that, sh in the shape I was in, why could I not really throw it in here healthy? Cause I felt great. Um, and then the other thing was, uh, 
the Rossi skis just felt a lot better to me on the, in those conditions. Um, just the way they were stable and holding for me. And it just, yeah, it was just kind of a mixture of many things that came in, but I have always loved that course. And I just, I feel like the intensity you got to bring is just, is really fun. And, and also, you know, Darren yelled at me before I, I went, he was above me and he was like, come on, go Goldie or something. I don't know. I was like trying to tune out everything, but I did see him and he was like, gave me like the thumbs up or something. And I was like, I was like, I don't know if I, that's going to make, if that makes me more nervous or not, but I actually like, it didn't, it gave me like definitely more energy um, to just be like, all right, let's do this. Yeah. So uh, nothing particularly like crazy, but I just, just skied how I know how to ski, I guess. Did you feel like it was top five or when you came down your podium, did you feel it? Like when you have like your really good runs, you know, sometimes I kind of just almost like wake up somewhere in the course, like how did I end up here? And and it was at the end of the uh, end of the traverse when I did that that left footer and really skied down on that and just like slingshotted down the hill and was in the air like holy crap I'm flying. Um, and then as I was in the air, I was like, well, that felt pretty good. Like we'll see. Like I've been disappointed a million times, so like where I felt too good, you know? So, and I came through expecting the win and was back, you know, 20th or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I didn't know what to expect really, but just kind of came off the last jump. And I remember I tried to stay really aero. Uh, the jump wasn't nearly as big as it's been in the past. So I just felt comfortable to really hold it together over that. And then, yeah, was was definitely surprised when I saw, because when it was, it was third at that point, you know? And uh, was pretty stoked. I like, I yelled pretty loud. So what, like, how could you not? I mean, <laughs> but yeah. I was standing pretty- outside the finish when you came through in third and I yelled pretty loud too. I was <laughs> stoked when, when I saw that, buddy, that was awesome. Hey, Doug Lewis here. And I want to talk about the American Downhiller Speed Camp. American Downhiller is the leader in teaching young ski racers how to go fast and have fun. 2023 will mark the sixth annual American Downhiller Speed Skills Camp in Mammoth Mountain. Our speed camp is coached exclusively by current and former World Cup racers and coaches who are passionate about helping the next generation of athletes achieve their dreams. We specifically focus on aerodynamics, jumping technique, speed tactics, and the mental training required to safely navigate Super G and downhill race courses. If you are a ski racer who wants to go fast, check out our website, americandownhiller.com for all specific camp dates. Since last spring, you know, almost all new coaches, um, you know, a couple team leaders when Nyman and Ganong are gone. I'm just kind of wondering how you guys are feeling coming into it and how's the team vibe and you fired up and what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely different than we've ever had it, uh, for sure. We, you know, our, I would say that we have a lot of different coaches that have come from different places and now they're all working together. And I think in the past, we've had a little bit more, um, like everyone's already known each other before pretty well and we work together a lot. So we've kind of had, uh, we have, co- have coaches coming in that I think are like, this is the best guy we can have for this position and this best guy for this position. And, and, um, so it's been, it's been great, great, actually. I mean, I think we're very, uh, we've been very professional and, and like trying to get really good training and making the most of every day. I mean, we, when we were in Kvitfell and 
in the uh, spring, we actually got pretty hammered with bad weather. And uh, we just skied a lot of GS on that T-bar and it was foggy and rainy. And we kind of did a lot more than I think we would have done in the past. We were never forced to to do it, you know? It's just, if you want to keep going, like it's it's safe enough, like let's, let's work on things. Let's make the most out of today. So I think it actually, that mindset is, is, is really good. And that's how you can, you know, if you get screwed on weather, you can still get something out of it. Um, and yeah, it was like a team, you know, Bryce, Ryan and I are now the old guys and, um, we're trying to instill a little bit of the old ways, which is difficult sometimes because, you know, everyone come, they come from a different, like the younger guys come from a, a little different group and, and they had their own different coaches and we all kind of had similar coaches on coming up. Um, I think we all skied a lot of powder and, and, uh, kind of had a different attitude and like, you know, like, you know, it kind of started dying off, but there was like a lot of partying going on when I was younger and on world cup. And then now everything's gotten more serious and, and, uh, everybody's just, yeah, I think we're working together. Well, we're just, we're a little more, I guess we're getting more like maybe the tech guys were, I don't know. <laughs> Less, don't uh, get too serious, dude. <laughs> don't go there. Okay, don't sorry. Go there. You can don't that go, out. Jack. Yeah. We like actually have a lifting set now, and we work out. <laughs> Talk yeah. about um, your coaches. You have uh, Burkhart, Florian, Scheiber. Tell us who is who is your coaching staff, and what do they bring? Yeah, totally. So we have uh, yeah, Berkey is yeah Burkhard. He's um, he's the head speed coach now, and he brings in a ton of experience and he's, he really worked with a lot of good guys. So I feel like, I feel like having conversations with him is helpful to just know that he's said the same things to guys who have won a lot of races and, and been successful. He's also um, taken some guys for that, that weren't winners yet and brought them to the, helped them get to the podium. So uh, he's good. He's actually really, really simple in his coaching. Like he, he always he talks a lot about edge changing, edge change, moving to the ski. And that was something that he, you know, he, right when he came in at the beginning of the season, uh, just talked about, like, I'm not going to say all these crazy things. Like, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to tell you, like, it's simple. Like it really is simple. You need to work your way up from, you know, making a really good edge change and then, you know, work on the other things you need to work on. But like, if you're not doing that right, then you're not, you wouldn't shouldn't be here you know uh so that was good and he's he's very blunt too with with if you're not doing something right and that's something i've always appreciated that kind of coaching so it's been great with him um we have uh florian Schreiber and he was a ex world cup athlete uh marco and i raced with him um he's a good guy he's austrian and uh so he he went and coached with the women's world cup world cup speed team for a while so he he has experience coaching, but he also has that experience not so long ago that he was on snow with doing those things. So I think it helps that he can, he can talk, he can communicate to you pretty well based on an athlete that still remembers it, what it felt like. Um, like you were even talking he would, about training here and he trained with me here. So it's kind of cool to be co watching video with someone that I trained with, you know, not so long ago. Um, and then uh, Austin Zavaria, who was uh, his first year was last year with us. Um, he's up from Sun Valley and 
uh, he's, he's great too. He's got a lot of um, great things to say and, and he's a good coach and he really like, he's been good at kind of knowing what each of us are working on and, and helps in that regard. And he's a good dude to be around. Um, and, uh, and Danny is uh, our new uh, strength coach, which we didn't, we haven't had one of those in a long time. So it's been kind of cool to have somebody there to, to help us in the afternoons and have a plan and not just kind of, okay, like do this or do that. You know, uh, the thing is, uh, D Danny's our guy that works out with us in the summer, all summer in park city. So it's, um, we just roll right into the winter and there's not any change ups or anything before we had Perry Lundstrom and only in the summer. And then we wouldn't really see him at all. So a lot of the other teams have that where they have like their guy that's with them the whole year. So I think it's helpful and, uh, we're on the same page and, and he, he knows what I've been working out, how much I've been lifting in the summer and, and how much I should be lifting now. So I don't overdo it or underdo it or anything. So. Hey, Goldie, I want to know a little bit about the culture, you know, Louie and I, you know, and he, he's a little older than I am. And when I came in, you know, we, had, we, we sort of adopted the culture that, that Louie and the guys before had, had sort of developed and handed off. And then, you know, it gets handed off to the next generation and the next generation. And if Darren was here, he could help sort of bridge between, you know, my my crew and, and Marco's crew. But, you know, I think Marco's crew in those years is, is probably the most notorious because of this whole American downhiller thing that's come out of it, the movie and and this this sort of this great um, exposure of the culture of, of downhillers. And I know that you were there with Marco a little bit. The culture is set a lot of times by some key individuals, whether they're coaches or whether they're athletes. And I know that, you know, with, with uh with steven uh and and travis going uh into retirement last year those are some pretty strong personalities and, and they those guys were around for a long time but also i think bringing in a guy like berkey i got to know him a little bit more last year when he was working with the women's team and i was helping out uh trisha mangan and i i was really impressed with berkey i really i really liked a lot of the things i heard him say um so culturally i think you know you guys have got a lot of influences right you've got you and Bryce, you got the coaching staff being all new. I mean, can you get a sense right now of how this culture is getting molded and where, what it might look like a year from now or two years from now? Um, or or what, what's, what's the sense of, of, of the culture and the vibe that you guys are going to uh, try to feed off of throughout the winter? Yeah, I mean, I think it's – the way it's changing, I think, is, is uh, you know, I'm just thinking about when I was younger and, and Marco and – and uh, Steve and them were, were talking, just, you know, being really proud to be downhillers and, and, you know, those guys, those are the slalom guys or whatever, you know, we, we don't hate those guys at all, you know, but we're just like, we make, we're like, oh yeah, like we, we like to go fast and go big and hit jumps. And, and, uh, and that's, I've always, that's the attitude I had growing up at Snowbird, you know, we like to just charge. And, uh, and so I don't, Bryce and I still kind of talk like that and joke around like that, but I don't think that that's going to be maybe the future is, is such like a divide there. Um, I, I don't know. I always look at it like what we do is a little bit crazy and, and different and, and uh, doesn't always feel like the exact same sport as Slalom or GS really. Um, but uh, not that those are not great events as well. I think you need to do those in order to be good at downhill. So they come hand in hand, but there was always just this fun, like, just like we're in like the American downhiller thing. Like we're just, we're kind of a, we're just a brotherhood and, and uh, we like to go big and, 
send it and <laughs> I don't know but I don't know if that I'm hoping that we can kind of instill that in them to, for the next generation to, to have that little bit of pride for sure I think that starts off with having some good results and it sounds like you guys are on a good path like keeping it simple and being strong and working hard and I, I think uh, your group doesn't have a whole lot of egos in it right now you know like you you're all there to prove yourselves and one specific question I had, um, just with start numbers, like I know every year the start order, they make some rule changes or whatever. Is there anything new for this year? Where, where are you going to be starting personally? And is it still how like the top 15 get to pick or oh. what's going on there? So it's, uh, it's probably the most fair it's been in a while. You got the, the top 10 guys and get to pick or they don't pick they're randomly shuffled from uh six to 15 and then the next group the 11 to 20th guys in the world go one through five and 16 to 20 and then the rest is from 21 to 30. so i'll be in um in the top 20 there so i'm a little outside that on the list but with there's four guys ahead of me that have that are uh, done racing anyway so yeah it's like in the one through five and 16 20 right now is my my zone and then hoping to open to move up from there there's a lot in our sport that's that's out of our control and, and especially the, the the weather and the conditions always seem to be a, a big piece of that and it's always nice to be able to give opportunities for later racers to uh, have a have a sh shot at skiing in conditions that are favorable so i, I like that too i like i like seeing you know, bib one through five, go to, go to some later, later rank guys. And um, yeah, get, see some excitement, see some opportunities. Hey, Doug Lewis here. If you've ever dreamed of traveling to Wengen or Kitzbühel to watch the classic World Cup downhills, then the ADL Ski Club is for you. Their small group trips are geared for passionate skiers and race fans. They take you to the heart of ski racing's biggest races at the Lauberhorn, Hanenkamm, and Night Slalom in Schladming. This year, American downhiller AJ Kidd is leading the group to Kitzbühel, and they have a ton of special access to the races, parties, and athletes that make this World Cup unique among all professional sports. Even though this year's trips are both sold out, now, right now, is the perfect time to get your name on the list for next year's trips. Visit ADLSkiClub.com. That's ADLSkiClub.com and reach out to them to secure your spot. Rumor has it that I might even be joining them for one of these trips soon. All right, let's bring it over to Birds of Prey. And um, what is it about this course, Jared? Explain what it's like to compete in front of the home crowd and tell us your favorite part about this course. So this is one of my favorite courses for sure. I, I'm more of a gl glider nowadays, so I... Um, the ones that are a little flatter and smooth, um, you know, more glidey, I guess, are, are my favorites, but I do like many aspects of this course. The top top is really easy. I think, uh, I wish that there was a little more to it that, you know, that you could really pull away from some of the more, uh, super G esque kind of guys. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that the top's kind of cool that you can settle into a tuck and, and be on your skis before dropping into a steep pitch. Some of the courses like like Bormio or 
or uh, kits, you know, where you're just zero to hero is a little bit in your face feeling. So I like that you can push out and skate hard and, and sit in a tuck and kind of work the terrain. It's kind of feels good to kind of get feeling for your skis and, and uh, your, your boots before you drop into the brink. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, when the snow is perfect there, it, it is really fun. Like you can lay it over like your water skiing on glass. So uh, I, I love skiing the pitch. It's definitely like kind of, it's a rush for sure. Uh, the, that turn like right before the basketball there is always just so quick, feels so quick. And you're all, all I'm thinking about is getting to the right ski, you know, which is kind of an, it's a weird turn. Cause you're getting to your uphill ski, like while you're going uphill and there's a big drop off after. And, um, it's a pretty like technical section for sure. And you're going like, nobody in their right mind would ever want to tuck down that if they weren't like us racing, you know, like it is steep. Just like, I, it looked like it was more fun back in the day when it was low bowl, the whole bottom, you know, like it's, it's pretty turny now through the, through a screech owl there. Look to touch more. When fun. you used to be able to fly off screech owl and go, you go straight off screech owl and yeah. catch good air. And then you would, that set the tone for the whole bottom. Cause you never slowed down. You know, now how you, throwing those couple super g turns on screech owl kind of i feel like it neuters the bottom of the course a totally. little bit totally. but, um i don't know who's to say I, you know the whole they're always trying to make things safer and whatnot and it probably is a bit safer maybe not quite as much fun for the racers yeah i think it i think it's a really fun track the bottom is it never really ends until you're at the very end so um i think it, that that's what makes it unique is you're kind of like almost like high tucking for three quarters of the course you're kind of just or, or if not like wide open just kind of you're not dropping into a low bowl so much down the pitch you know so um i like it i think i'm i i'm curious to see how i feel this year going straight from copper to there i think going to going home for a few days and then going up to lake louise and being on completely different snow and a completely different track and then coming back has always been kind of funky to try to get used to those different conditions. And so this time we're going straight from almost the exact same conditions and right up the road. So I'm thinking it all feel hopefully better this year. Are you guys going to take a break before between copper and beaver? Or are you just moving your bags straight over? Pretty much moving straight over. Yeah. We have a day off between, um, we're not really, killing ourselves here too much like we skied two days on took a day off three days on day off and then two days on so we're not really going crazy we're trying to they're thinking about the coaches are thinking about energy levels for sure and trying to not overdo it but i think we kind of need to get caught up we've just i mean everybody does you know like no one's had great training in the last month and a half anywhere in the world really so we've uh we just need to get some miles in so we're doing it in a pretty smart way my thing i loved about beaver creek and i did race it once um believe it or not yeah it was just uh, just the flow like the air and the flow and the speed i mean it just felt great I, I agree with you like the top section gliding getting into it got a couple of rollers you know pumping and then you just kind of slowly start to accelerate until you're over the brink but that from that point forward i just i love the flow of that course and i loved all the air um it's it's an exciting one i think it's a great one for you guys to really start on because i think after that you'll got to feel like you're ready for anything yeah it is a good like thankfully the snow is good there because i think if it were if it were like 
kind of more European snow, that course would be gnarly, like really gnarly. So yeah, it's uh, thankfully it's got that nice Colorado grip on it, and yeah, it's like an intense course for sure. But you know, thankfully you can you can use the snow to can control yourself around the gates a little bit and the terrain, but. Wend produces a sophisticated line of ski and snowboard waxes for use by skiers, riders, racers, and shops. The current Wend snow wax formulations have come from over 50 years of progressive blend reformulation and on-slope and in-lab testing. This has been in conjunction with the feedback of some of the world's top ski and snowboard athletes. Athletes who know real speed, like Kitzbühel champ Darren Rolfs, and 2019 Birds of Prey GS champion, Tommy Ford. When no longer sells any products containing fluorocarbon compounds and instead utilizes natural, plant-derived and or biodegradable additives that substantially increase the overall eco-friendliness of the Wend Snow Wax product line. Give Wend a follow on Instagram at Wend Waxworks and purchase your Wend products at wendperformance.com. And don't forget to use the code ADH20 for 20% off your purchase. So when I raced, I didn't, I, I, our America's downhiller was Aspen and um, my parents came and my sister and brother came and the, and the, the energy was huge. I know AJ, you did both, but Marco, I remember calling your races when half the, half of your family was there across the world. Talk about having the fans and family. Does that help or put more pressure? I'm going to start with Marco and then go to Jared. I think for me, you know, I, I can never figure out if it was a hindrance or not because I love to have everybody there. But then you end up like you know, hanging out with your family at all hours and you can, you're like, you know, I'd see my dad after inspection and he'd be like, come on, son. Like <laughs> it was, it was super cool. But it's also that, extra amounts of of pressure upon yourself and um i think my best ever result in beaver creek i was sixth the first time i raced it and then i never was able to match that so maybe having <laughs> maybe being fresh with no fans was possibly better but i enjoyed the camaraderie of of the crowd and the fans nonetheless jared who's going to be there for you and uh do you like the you like having it at home frees you up or tightens you up I don't know what to think about it either. You know, you want it. I'm not going to not let them come. So going to deal with it either way. I think it, it is, it, I think it can be helpful for sure. You know, I'm going to have my parents there and uh, girlfriend, Sarah, and, and uh, sometimes other people have in your friends and family show up and, and you see them. And I think I just, I'm usually pretty like straightforward before they go and just say, Hey, I'm going to be pretty busy. I might hardly see you at least, you know, and then in the evenings, I'll see him more often. But, uh, you know, I don't think people understand how busy we are on a race week. And, and we don't really have a ton of time. And especially when we're at home, you know, we're doing signings and, and have other obligations we have to go do and, and trusty dinners and whatever. So I think, I think it is a lot, but it's kind of what we have to do. It's part of our job. So um, sometimes you got to do it. If you're feeling it, it's fine, you know, but there are distractions being at home. Uh, but we also have the benefit of being comfortable on this kind of snow. And, you know, I can drive my own truck there and like those little things that we don't usually have when we're over in Europe or, you know, that are advantages of the other teams or like can be our advantages. So I, 
knowing that I'm only like six hours away from Utah is also nice. Like I'm, I'm not home, but I'm, I'm, I'm in America. There's the town crew guys are all guys and gals are all fired up and they're taught. That's probably the biggest thing for me is that kind of evens out the stress of, you know, being with a lot of people that, you know, is like just the, how stoked the talent crew is and the, all the volunteers are fired up that you're there and they, like I've had like some days where they're pretty tough races and I didn't do well. And they're like, they don't care. They're just like, how was it? Like, it's so great to watch you. You were really flying off that, that turn there, that jump. And you're like, Oh yeah, I guess I was like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Like these guys are fired up and, and you're just trying to inspire people really. So, um, I think it's less about you here and like more about like just being an American showcasing the sport. It's a great way of looking at it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a great shout out for the talent crew. Those guys are yeah. some of the best well, my dad, hard working. My dad's been doing the talent crew for like the whole time I've been doing the race. So even when I was floor running, so it's kind of that's cool too. Is he he's texting me like, hey, like, like if there's weather, like, oh, it's looking pretty good up here actually. Like, your dad giving you course reports? Yeah, getting a little chattery around the coach's island here. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I, I'm pretty sure one year he's like he sent a picture of like this avalanche that happened on the top part or something. So I had the intel, you know. I was like, check it out, get from the brink, you know. <laughs> After a training run, you have sources of in, uh, information, right? You have the timing, intermediate times. You have the video of yourselves, and you have other video. How do you utilize the information from a training run? And how do you get that information? How do you use it? The vid video is important to like really look at, look at the video every night. Um, looking at the splits is important too. You know, we can, my, uh, my technician, Greg is seeing what skis are running. And, you know, this year we have a whole new thing with the no fluoros that we're like probably going to be testing out waxes. And that's a whole nother thing we can talk about, but um, trying to see, you know, what, what skis running, how I skied. Uh, if I, if I was really fast on one split, I don't really pay attention that much to that one. I look more at the ones I need to maybe make up a little bit more time. How about you, Marco? H how much did intermediate times play a role in, in video? Who did you watch? Well, I was actually the split times I've noticed. I don't think I studied them as much when I was a racer. Now that I've been out of racing for a while and I started commentating a little bit I've actually started to like study split times more and the history of certain splits on certain courses and looking back on the winner of the race there tends to be these similarities of you know which splits they're fast on on certain courses and I think if I could go back to or you know just tell them talking to Jared about it like just identifying those splits on a course that are generally like really contributing toward gaining a lot of speed on you know taking a lot of speed out of that section or into the next section or how it how it develops over the whole track and uh it's just been really interesting kind of looking at that from the other perspective and i think i probably would have done more of that as a racer if i'd been more tuned into it i don't remember like i always looked at my own splits and was like oh i can just clean that up or whatever but studying the course and the splits compared to the winners over the years is actually pretty interesting. Yeah. They, that was something uh, Jono used to do is like write down the, the best splits from the years before of the guys that were winning. And, and usually there's a section that you basically have to be fast on that section and in order to be 
on the podium or whatever. So it kind of narrows down where you should look. If you're, what, you know, what section do I need to just be like, even if I'm in there, like what section do I just need to be decent in to give myself a chance to be fast at the bottom? So for sure. And I feel like almost all courses have that section where you need to pay attention a little bit more and maybe sections where you can not let off the gas, but if you're going to let your mind wander a little bit, there's maybe a couple spots you can do that. And there's those sections where you got to be like super on it. Yeah. What do you think is the, what's the critical section at Beaver Creek, Marco? What do you think? Well, let me, let me start before this Marco, because I thought I, I was thought about the top flats and I'm like, having called this race, you cannot be more than two tenths out. You can't be, uh, more than 10th place on the top or else you know you just pull over but in the last 10 years like three times people have come back from up to six tenths out on the top flats and made it up on the bottom so i was that whole thing i thought was like you have to be within two tenths of the flats on top you have to but it doesn't people have been winning it all over the place yeah that's crazy i mean for i think that the most important part of Beaver Creek is over Pump House, around Roosie's Ride, and the left footer around around the island above Screech Owl. I'm not exactly sure what, I can't remember what they call the left footer, the big sweeping corridor there, but the speed you can carry over Screech Pizzerina, Owl. Maybe? Isn't that Pizzerina? Oh, Pizzerina is higher up. Like okay. on the pitch. It's Roosie's <laughs> Ride, and I don't know what the left is. Ride is the right, the right foot triple, and there's the left foot triple. And the speed you can carry out of that kind of dictates, you know, what the speed you're going to take into Golden Eagle and the Abyss and all that. And uh, I I feel like I've seen that's a lot of times the guys who win that split and win that speed trap are on the podium or close to it. Yeah. I mean, that is like the most rage section too. Like you're yeah. <laughs> all in there and you just got past the, the basketball turn and and if you if you do that really well then you're a little more left and you didn't get pushed as much and you can then you're just full on fall line and then that left footer there is always super ripply you know so like being being clean and strong on that one before that kicker at the end like i've a lot of times i've like just fully starfished coming out of that because you're, it's hard because you're in such a solid strong position to to hold like and you're going like 90 and you're like trying to hold the a big side hill with those big ripples but then there's a kicker at the end and then another turn the opposite direction so it's like it's it's tough to not be stiff legs still i also think you got to be like charging at the very bottom as well you know come out of the abyss and then you come over harrier and then it's like those last two turns there you got to be confident and like hyping those you know so. who's been well on those last two turns is foyt's He's whatever. Yeah. Foyce has won that race in that section a couple of times. Amazing. Is yeah. that a spot you think you can cut line though, though? Like those last two turns, can you, can you like try to trim line and, and maybe take more of a direct line into that final jump to trim some, uh, trim some time off? You should ask TV Atlantic about that. Yeah. I mean, it's in the first training round, 100%, you can like go wherever you want because it's just the, it's a 90 degree angle to the gate. But by the time everyone's slipped it and it gets dished and and you get that those like shuffleboardy waves, like it's tough. Like you get bumped a little bit low there and then you're rushed. And then the then there's those 
groomer marks usually in that compression there. Um, so I, I do think you should push the line there for sure. But like when it's not smooth, it's kind of hard to like to really push it. But last year I was actually trying to aim as close as I could to that right footer and the snow was a little better in there. And then that was, that helps to just kind of stay out of the crappy snow or the waves, I guess, like to keep your ski smooth. So there's a couple of different lines you can do in there. Foyt's always was on like the bad boy line for sure. Um, Helps you, to have the mass and the density that Foyt's has. He can pretty much pick the line he wants. I mean, the Kugel blitz goes anywhere it wants to, right? <laughs> One of my cuts on the courses, it's a, it's short, 139. Uh, I think downhill should be two minutes. However, talk about how tired you are at 9,000 feet at the fact that this thing never stops once you hit the brink. Is it tiring course? And what do you feel like at the finish? Yeah, it, it's pretty tiring. It's not it definitely not the most tiring. Uh, it, when the light's flat, it can it can get more into the you're get pretty gassed. Um, but I, it's more of a sprint for sure. I think it's. But then you throw in if it's cold, then you got that cold air that you're huffing huffing on. So then you get that like kind of downhiller cough, and it really depends on the year. Like the warm years, it's not that bad. The colder years, you really breathe in hard, and so. I, if I'm skiing efficiently and well and like in a good position, then it's then I'm not as gassed as it, if when I'm like bending the tail and like sitting back and trying to like recover the whole way down. So, no, I think like what you just said, it was definitely not the most tiring. I remember not being being able to like push pretty hard on those last three jumps, you know, to and not being too gassed, but you're definitely like huffing when you're in the finish it's like you're out of breath but maybe the strength component is still there yeah it'll be interesting this year you know with i always would go we always go to lake louise and lake louise is longer and you're tucking a lot more and the snows maybe not as good sometimes and like there sometimes there i would have i'd be like feeling pretty stumpy at the bottom and depending on how i skied and and if i was tense or whatever and and so it always felt like doing that longer course first, but it felt a little more tiring. And then coming back to Beaver, it was like, oh, this is fine. It's not that bad, but. I'm going to keep going here because I, I love this course, but I want the Golden Eagle to be bigger again. What's your thoughts on airtime? Uh, Marco and maybe Jared, you ran it when it was big air off of that thing. Talk about, can we get more air and is it safe and specifically Golden Eagle? Um, I always liked flying off that jump. You know, it's like such a nice long landing. You can kind of, no matter how big they sent it, I feel like it was always a nice, uh, nice steep landing before you went into the abyss. So yeah, I would like to see it bigger, but I'm, I'm not running it anymore. So that's a pretty, you know, I don't know if that answer really matters, but I'm interested to hear what Jared says. Yeah. I've always loved that jump. It's, it is, it's big and you're usually pretty high off the ground. So sometimes it can be quite the slapper. Like I, sometimes I feel like I'm not maybe moving over, over it well enough. Uh, because, you know, some, some jumps, you just kind of roll over it and just make a good move. And um, the last years it's been smaller, but pretty sharp actually. So you like, you still make a move and you fly pretty far. Uh, the landing can be pretty slappy sometimes um but 
yeah, the bigger, the better. I think what's cool about that particular jump is that you're actually in the air and you can like have your hands behind your back and you're kind of feeling yourself flying, you know, you have enough seconds in the air where you're like, you able to kind of be like, Oh, this is cool. I'm flying. And then you land and then you got that, the bis jump, which is like one of, one of the more fun, in my opinion, uh, turns on that course is just like that, just a kind of loaded right footer with a double after, you know, I really hope this year that they have that nice double that you can clear because it definitely makes that whole bottom section. I think um, just being able to like launch and land left foot and touch your left foot, go over Harrier, like on edge is, is definitely more fun than when you're kind of just skipping over the whatever's there. So um, hopefully that's there. I think every downhill should be mandatory to have a 200 foot jump in it. I mean, it's, it, to me, it's an essential part of the, of the sport. And I think it, it, uh, I mean, like the, I was so disappointed last year when the finish jump at Kitzbühel was basically a roll, you know, I mean, it was, you almost had to stiff leg it to get, just get some air. Um, you know, the, the, my favorite flyoff jump is the middle jump at, at Quitfiel, you know, that's like a 200 footer on a good day. Oh, yeah. and, I mean, that's just easy. That's just a flight. That's just like a gratuitous flight, you know, doesn't take anything to just land that one. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the bigger, the better, the more air, the better. I love, I love Valgardena. I, I feel like Beaver Creek to me is just like Valgardena, that that sort of that middle third of the course. You're like in the air all the time. And, you know, those sequences when you're like you talk about with the abyss where you land on one foot, you know, from one jump, take off on another, land on the next backside, another jump coming up. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And, and you know, that's the kind of thing that we teach at the American Downhiller Camps a lot is sequencing these jumps and these turns together. And it's really such a great, unique part of, uh, of our sport. And um, I'm really sad to see a lot of it going away, but uh, I'm, I'm also hopeful that Beaver Creek is going to bring us some good airtime viewing. Doug Lewis here. If you are a U12, U14, or U16, elite team fitness camps are for you. This is not your average fitness camp as we teach the vital skills of sports psychology and sports nutrition, along with tough, challenging workouts. You will leave camp with more power, strength, and agility with a deeper understanding about nutrition and with the mental skills of confidence, focus, and pushing limits, which will take you to the next level. Over our 30 years, we have coached Olympic champions, World Cup stars, NCAA champions, including US ski teamers, Michaela Schifrin, Lauren Masuga, Alice Merriweather, Jimmy Krupka, Grace Henderson, and Sammy Worthington. And finally, although we push our limits to the edge, we have a ton of fun. We are holding two week-long sessions this July at the Killington Mountain School. Find all the info at EliteTeam.com. I was going to touch on one thing that you mentioned, Jared, with the no floros this year. Um, how's that looking? Do you guys have to, like, scrap all your old skis? What's the – how do you deal with that? So we – there's obviously been a lot of talk about it, and the, the technicians have been kind of flipping out at times. but. Um, they just didn't have a lot of answers on what was going to happen. What, you know, if we were going to test and if somebody had the wrong numbers or like, are they going to get DQ'd every time? Or like, how you know, there wasn't a lot of answers about it. So basically, basically um, if you take a very fluorinated old downhill ski and you, you can get the fluoros out enough to get it underneath the levels that they've made. So they just raised the levels from, I think it was that, 1.2 or something on like whatever the the scale is it was 1.2 and they made it 1.8 because i guess they tested a bunch of skis and they were like coming in a little too close to it so 
1.8 is the magical line, whatever that 1.8 means. Um, with the variables that we already have in this sport, and we're just adding more variables. Did they, did they test it, um, uh, Zermatt, after the training run? Or are they only, I mean, just, just to gather information? or They did, yeah. They did, yeah. And, yeah, and they were, uh, no failures? Um, I don't know. They're, they weren't talking about it. Like some guys heard numbers. Some, some people didn't hear some, some people were told no numbers. You're not allowed to hear the numbers. And some people knew all the numbers. So I, you know, I was, it was like, it's just one more thing we got to do. We come through, you know, we're getting our boot height checked. And then some people are getting their skis checked for wax, you know? So it's, I don't know why they were testing it there. They already had the chance to do it other times, but you know, I, nobody seems to know it's, going on with it i think it's uh it's i hope that there aren't any like phony dqs this year it's just not it's not very cool to the athletes but i think the technicians are pretty like dialed in now like i think uh i think they figured out that the that sold in dq was actually like somebody had a like a cork that had some fluoros in it so like everything else they did was legit but they put a had a fluorinated cork things like that can make it spike so and it was, yeah, I mean, that test was after the race though, right? I mean, after she had skied on the ski. So how is there still floro on the ski if it's just a little cork? I don't get that. No idea. No idea. Yeah. That's what they. See, that's the problem with this whole thing is, is like the testing's irregular. It's inconsistent. And there's just too many questions. Yeah. So there's I, a lot I, of questions. I, gotta, I, I hate it. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay with like trying to protect everybody and make sure that we're all safe and don't have, you know, harmful chemicals around. But I mean we got a lot of work to do on, on, on getting this testing thing right. Jared, I'm going to put you on the spot. Had a great year last year, your first top five, fourth at Kitzbühel. What are your goals uh, results-wise for this year? I mean, I'd like to get onto the podium for sure. I'd, I'd like to be consistent. I think like last year I was, I was close on, an, on a few other races where I was like, was so close to being, like I had issues where I like fell or something. So, but was really having a good run. So like, I just, I'd like to just put it together more often. And I think I finally feel like I'm at the age where I like, I have the experience, like I'm ready, you know? Well, we're going to be fully behind you. The American downhillers and all your fans, we are psyched to see you. You know, you're strong. You have the technique, you've got the confidence now. So uh, we're going to be psyched to see you on the podium. Hell yeah. We'll be watching. Oh, and yeah. you said you're a glider now. So it's all, it's all coming together. Yeah, I feel like, is it just when the older you get, the more glider you, be, you become? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I remember you snapping off some pretty nasty Super G turns. I don't know if you can totally call yourself a glider, but you got both skills now. Yeah. So it's all coming yeah. together. Thanks, everybody, for listening and watching to our American Downhiller podcast, Season 3. Special thanks to the Stiefel U.S. Ski Team member, Jared Goldberg, and we hope that he realizes his dream of a podium finish this season. Jared is one of the hardest working athletes on the World Cup circuit. Hey, please spread the word about the podcast. Share with your friends, coaches, teammates, and ski club. You can find us either on Spotify or Apple or on YouTube. And thanks to our American Downhiller sponsors, SkiRacing.com, ADL Ski Club, Wend Wax, Elite Team Fitness Programs, and American Downhiller Camps. Stay tuned for more American Downhiller podcasts this year as we head to Europe for the classic Val Gardena downhill, where the American Downhillers have had a ton of success. For AJ, Darren, Marco, and Jared, thanks for listening.